Hey everyone, I hope you are enjoying your winter break and really getting some good rest and some self-love and some self-care and taking a break from all things dental hygiene. In this episode, I get the opportunity of speaking with Siobhan Healy and anytime I can talk with Siobhan is a good time. Siobhan and I went to the University of Bridgeport together where we did our master's degree program together. So I was fortunate enough to get to know Siobhan during my time at the University of Bridgeport. In this episode, Siobhan just shares you know, how she got into the field of dentistry, what her moral compass is, what she's passionate about, where she wants to see the future of dental hygiene what she expects from educators and some of the challenges that our, our new graduates are facing when they get out into the field. We are very much aligned in um, our scope of practice and how we recognize that dental hygienists have a higher capacity than what we're utilizing. And if we really wanna meet the needs of the entire population, we need to expand that and really work to the fullest scope of practice. And what I love about Siobhan is she's not afraid to say it. She takes on some pretty tough challenges. So listen in on this conversation. It's really just Siobhan and I talking back and forth and, and really thinking about where the future is, where we're going, what we're doing, and how we're going to get there. So take a listen. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome. So glad to have you. Yeah. Why did you want to become a hygienist? Because your passion just oozes out of you. You know, it, even just through your voice, you know, somebody who's just listening can probably tell how passionate you are. And mm-hmm. I see glimpses of you all over the network of dental because, you know, the field is very small. It's a small network yeah. across the we are small but mighty. And yeah. When I see some of the real action steps that you're taking in the field, first of all, I don't think you sleep, but secondly, <laughs> secondly, it makes me say, wow, what, what made her get into this field and what, what really drives her to keep going forward? Okay. Well, I, you know, I come from, you know, a modest up, upbringing. I'm, I'm from a, I grew up in a small, a small town. Uh, right outside of Boston. If you've ever flown into Logan Airport, I, I literally, literally grew up just a five-minute car ride away um, in Revere, Massachusetts. Now, if you are somebody who is familiar with Revere, uh, Massachusetts, you know Revere, and you know Revere Beach, and <laughs> that's where I, that's where I grew up. So, my my mom made the decision to send all of us to a vocational high school not not the city high school, not Revere High, because she wanted to make sure that we learned a trade because college is not for everybody. So that's so that led me in into this this you know direction of, of becoming a dental hygienist. When I so when you're a freshman you take many you take there was like 16 different shops I think or different uh trades to 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 try. 
and um, you know, cosmetology, electricity, plumbing, accounting, nursing, dental assisting, culinary arts. So I originally went for culinary arts, but I I ended up picking, you know, being 14 years old, you pick the you want to be with all your friends. So I ended up picking the dental assisting program. Nice. And I was, I am the the uh, second oldest of five children to a single mother, firstborn daughter. So automatically, I'm in a leadership role, and you you begin helping at a very young age. So money motivated me, wanting to help and contribute to a better life for my mom and my family. Motivated me, understanding what was lacking. I know that that kind of because you have to you know it's <laughs> the reason why I love ethics and law is because it te- you know it takes you so deep and you really have to understand where people come from and their moral reasoning and and anyways so I understand the circumstances that we were in as a child you know growing up on welfare and stuff like that so I understood how lack of education contributed to that. So, um, you know, and, and anything that I did, I just wanted to be the best at it, you know? So I wanted to be the best at dental assisting. And I did, you know, I graduated top of my class. Um, when I was 14 years old, I started working in a dental office. And that dentist that I worked for was also in school. He was a general dentist studying to become an endodontist. But when I was in high school, around sophomore year, my dental assistant instructors were encouraging me to go to dental school. And I was like, no, I don't want to. Why would I want to go to school for eight years? And they were like, well, what about dental hygiene? And I was like, what what was that? We my we had we went to we had dental care at a young age, but I don't remember the details of it. I didn't start really going to I had access to dental care but I didn't start going until I was in high school and I was in a dental assisting program. And I started making my own appointments going to the the office. So, but I didn't really know what a dental hygienist was. What I knew was that it was two years of school and I could graduate and make a certain amount of money, but I wanted to be the best at it. Um, So I graduated and I, you know, graduated at the top of my class. I worked as a dental assistant from the age of 14, all the way through high school, all the way through dental hygiene school and in a diverse experience in all, you know, I've worked in perio oral surgery, prosthodontics, pedo. Uh, you know, I saw my first dental implant when I was 16 years old. I've been in this uh, profession all my life. Uh, now, you know, just to have some fun here, you know, the only other thing I've ever done, well, when I was nine years old, I, I was a babysitter. Like I was a neighbor babysitter. Um, so I, was, I guess I was a businesswoman. From, from <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> yeah, I was an entrepreneur from the age of nine years old. And then the only other thing, thank you, Billy, for helping me get back on track. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I've ever done was bartend, right? Um, very briefly, like I took a bartending class because I don't believe in doing anything without taking a class sometimes. But, so that's my, that's my like, career path. That's my, that's my, you know, luckily, luckily I landed in this, this profession. Yeah. Well, and I had the privilege of meeting you in our master's degree program. And I can still remember reading Mm -hmm. some of your discussion boards and saying, now here's a girl with some real depth 
you know. Oh, really? I'll have to go back and, and do we still have access? I'll have to go back and read some of that stuff. We do. We do. <laughs> I wish I had written down some of your really insightful uh, comments on the discussion boards, but that's my memory. You know, you don't always remember what people say, but you you do remember how they make you feel. And one of the things I always felt when I when I read your discussions was here's someone with some grit, with some passion. Yes, yes. I, I guess I am a little gritty. I am a little gritty. <laughs> I've been told I've been told that I was tenacious. I'm glad that you brought up that we met in the master's program because um that was such a great class. And you were definitely I, I when you see Billy, you just see like a sun, like a you know, the like the sunshine just right next to your next to your face. But we 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 did connect in, in school. It was that time actually how when my when my I started diving deep into implant into the implant stuff. You probably remember that. Yeah. Um, that's when I wrote my first, I think my first and only CE on um, clinical strategies for the management of like complex implant dentistry, I think it was called. And I got that published in Dimensions of Dental Hygiene. But it's really because I'm doing a lot of different things right now because this is a very needy time in our profession where there is help. You know, people are asking for help from all areas, you know, from clinical to you know, education. I I mean, everybody needs help. So anyways, I find myself just trying to, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader who advocates for the betterment of society. So I'm just trying to do my best to help, um, you know, achieve that in any way possible. Well, Siobhan, your passion just oozes (laughs) out of you for the profession of dental hygiene. Uh, One question I'd really like to know the answer to for, from you that I haven't spoken to you about is, where do you want the profession to be in 10 years? <laughs> well, I hope to be celebrating our separation from dentistry. I hope to be celebrating ownership of our education, our profession, our clinical practice, stepping down from, you know, being somebody who has been trying to lead that the profession in that way um, and celebrating the achievement of that. And I think that we are heading in that direction because of uh, the awareness of the disparities. You know, the data doesn't lie, people do. And this profession is, we are supposed to serve everyone. You know, justice, you know, healthcare, justice for all. That's that's actually um, a, a value or a, a, an ethical principle that we are to honor as oral healthcare professionals um, is, and participate in creating access if, if, that's, if that's what's necessary. So I think it's an exciting time for our profession and I wanna get the students excited. So thanks yeah. so much, Billy, for, for, for bringing me on. Well, and f- the thing is, I, as an educator, see how much students have to learn in order to put those three initials after their name saying RDH, and they work so incredibly hard, the depth of understanding that they have to have for comprehensive care is probably more than most people realize and especially recognize. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about that separation, 
it really brings me back to what my main focus is. And it's always to work at the fullest scope of practice at the fullest extent of our licensure. And to me, if that can happen, we can have better access for all people that really, number one, don't, don't have the opportunity to access care. And number two, don't, don't really recognize the value or understand the need. You know, there, there's a lot of sick people out there and we have the ability, the knowledge and the skills to reach those patients. And these are the changes that I'm excited about. And I know how passionate you are about this stuff. Yeah, it's necessary for us to be able to practice to the full extent of our license and our education, because there are some things that we've learned we are educated to do, but we are restricted in our life, in our license, depending on, or in our practice, depending on what state you are licensed in. So it's um, a domino effect on, yes, how, how you are able to treat the, the particular population that is in your community, right? So for, for a really long time, my community of patients have been dental implant patients a very unique population. Earlier, you said something about how much students have to learn. When we graduate, we graduate with competent to provide uh, skills to the public with confidence in a, in, a, in a safe way. But we have to continue. It's so important that we have to continue, especially because as technology develops in, in other areas, especially in research, there's more that we find out. So we find, you know, less invasive ways of how to be preventative. And so you've got to continue. So don't expect to learn everything in hygiene, in hygiene school. Uh, a few years ago, a student messaged me on Facebook. And if you are out there and you're listening, get back in touch with me. I've never stopped thinking about you. Uh, it's been about, man, maybe it was three years ago. The student contacted me and she said, she was in California and she said, you know, I, I'm seeing all of these full, these patients with all these implants and I feel like I'm just stumbling around with my instruments. I don't feel like my hygiene program prepared me for this. And I, if I was wearing pearls, I would have clutched them because that's the last thing you want. That's the last thing any hygiene program wants to hear one of their graduating students say yes so you know right away I contacted phone school of dental hygiene and um I was like you, you know look at this need here you, you don't want this to be a graduate so um but it's important to continue our education because we cannot learn everything in school and so that's what I did as it pertains to implant dentistry all of it, implants were everywhere 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 so I had to be responsible um, and gain the knowledge and skill. Um, unless you're in a situation where you can refer that patient out, which we are, we have like a legal responsibility to do that. Yes. Um, and don't be intimidated by that word legal. That's that should empower you. Um, but anyways, I'm I'm going, I don't want to go off topic here, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited to talk to you and and to share as much knowledge. And what can we consider to be entry-level skills for implant care? And I would love to know your take on what you think the expectation should be. What I can remember in hygiene school, 
um, you know, we're seeing patients that, um, first of all, are our are, are friends and family. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, also patients that, you know, may have access to care um, um, issues. So I encourage dental hygiene programs to create ways to provide access uh, for a way for students to access more diverse populations yeah. um, so that we can get this kind of exposure, exposure because dental implants are the standard of care and we are ethically and legally required to provide patients with standard of care. So in the terms of implant, dental implants, that at least means that the, the knowledge and clinical assessment skills to be able to identify whether or not it's healthy, that you know the tissue around the implant is healthy, what does success mean? As a profession, it's very interesting, you know, we are, we also have to be self-regulating in the choices that, that we make because um, we have responsibilities to clients, to the profession. And so um, there are a lot of different ways to approach this very need because it's not just um, an isolated, it's, it's a national to, to be able to provide students with not just implant dentistry, but there's so much, yeah. um, you know, there's a huge focus right now on soft tissue lasers mm -hmm. um, and soft tissue lasers uh, is, is a modality that is, that is being used as an adjunct in like a non-surgical approach to not only periodontal disease, but in, implant dental implants as well. So some of the some of the basics um, uh, to implement in programs is, you know, a strong focus on how to determine whether or not an implant is healthy or has some level of degree present. Because right now the the clinicians who are seeing these patients and actually implementing the research that that we're seeing in into practice, the the recommendations to, um, there's no, we're still talking about a standard of care, you know, for maintenance and for the treatment of, of active implant infection. So I think, I think that the best thing that hygiene programs to do is really focus on making sure that the students can at least identify the disease. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a start. So say I am a new graduate I've just taken my first position and I'm in a practice where there's so many patients with implants that there are instruments in every cassette that, that are there for implant care. But I've never seen these instruments and I've only learned to assess whether or not the tissue is healthy. What's one of the first few steps I can take to um, be able to manage my schedule with these types of patients? Okay, so we want to be preventative. So I just have to say this because I don't know who's out there. So I don't, I don't know who I have the opportunity to help today. Okay, so um, you want to be preventative. So if you are, if you're a recent graduate and you are right now looking for that ideal office, really learn about this office before before you accept the the, the job. Okay, when you are on site doing a working interview that you need to be paid for. Let me just slip that in there. Um, but when you were on site doing a working interview, you know, really pay attention 
to the team spirit, to the equipment that's available to you? Are there office meetings and, and all of that? Okay, so that's how you prevent yourself. That's how you decrease, you know, the, your chances of ethical dilemmas. All right. Let's the, the great thing about honoring and having a strong understanding of the code of ethics and how to apply those to practice is because first of all, they help us identify if like, okay, this is just totally wrong. All right. You have these whatever it is, beat up instruments, okay? They're not even in consent. This is across the board, yes, many different things, but it's just wrong. Or is this truly an ethical dilemma that can cause harm to the patient? And absolutely, yes, if you do not have the equipment available to you to identify disease and treat it, we're, we're going down a whole other pathway of dental hygiene, ethics, and law and our responsibility. So first understanding and look at this as a wonderful opportunity to educate your colleagues, but you wanna make sure that you are in an office that welcomes that, that welcomes education, that wants to be able to provide the highest quality of care for their patients, that looks to you and respects you and honors you for your expertise, which is dental hygiene care, prevention maintenance. So understanding. And I think third, I think I gave three, three things so far, never present a problem without a solution. Have many different ways to uh, rectify the situation. Remember, to, you, in some cases, you might have to meet people halfway and, and, and understand that. So do the best that you can with what is available to you. Try to do the best that you can I'm, I'm sorry to have to say that, but that's the truth of, of, of the way that we are subjected to practice, right? Under, under, under the supervision, um, somebody else is responsible for our, you know, our, in, you know, our equipment and sometimes even our, our schedule. So we just have to make the best, but in those kinds of situations, you have to decide if this is something that I can, you know, endure because you don't, you don't have to make any changes, all right? But that just goes back to who you are ethically as a professional. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but it just realize that you don't have to stay in those situations, give it time, put a timeline on it. And if, if you feel like you still have barriers to meeting your patient's need and just even providing a basic level of standard of care, you have to make a decision to um, get yourself in a situation where you can do that. Yeah. And I think asking lots of questions, you know, and getting yourself into the books and looking for the research to figure out how to meet those needs for your patients is great. You covered things that could be applied to so many aspects for a new graduate. I love that. Like I said, I don't know. This might be the only time I get to meet um, you know, who's ever listening. So I want to I want to give as much information as I can because it's complex, isn't it? It's it, our so complex. It you is. know, our patients have complex medical histories. Um, the rooms, some you know, your operatories are sometimes complex. Uh, you know, it's it's complex. So many sure. different ways to go about it. Yes, but for for your students, um, you know, I I just want to let them know that if they if they First of all, if if you Google, if you Google me, there's there's a lot of um, implant webinars that I've done for Plan Mecca, for example. Um, check out Plan Mecca. 
www.siobhanhealy.com or just Google Siobhan Healy. I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to give you the correct websites when we get off this. But um, Plan Mecca USA, they have webinars. If you Google me, you can you can you can see. Um, if you go to like the Facebook page for the um, International Dental Implant Association, there are some webinars that we did. So you have you have acts, free access to to um, some of the articles that I've done, the content. Some you know, there's a lot of information that I put out there um, for for you, for you, for for students, for colleagues, for educators um, to help in your decision making. Um, not only in what you should teach the students. Uh, but how, but but how we should provide care for our patients with, with implant dentistry. You are never done growing and learning. I certainly, if you asked me 10 years ago, if I was going to be a podcaster, I would have been, no, no, but this is what it's all about, right? This is how change happens. This is how growth and opportunity happens for our profession is just by stretching yourself outside your comfort zone and learning something new, trying something new. Siobhan, you're amazing. You know that, and I know that, and I'm so glad you're a dental hygienist. A-okay. I'm (laughs) A-okay. Always getting better. I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.